Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. In my home to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint, we've done so many of these via Zoom that I've actually got a guest in my home. It's kind of novel, is my friend Ben Fernie. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I've got, Ben's got a terrific outline. Is going to share his story. Just by way of introduction, Ben, I became connected with Ben because um, our son, Matt Osler, served a mission in the Sydney North Mission. And in that process of connecting on Facebook, I connected with Ben Fernie. And then in the last few months, Ben came out as gay. He's engaged to Calvin Smith, who's here with him. Um, and he's just going to share his story. Ben's a terrific man, um, a wonderful missionary from the uh, Sydney, Australia North mission. That's kind of a legendary mission we've had. <laughs> you're the third guest um, that's gay from that mission. Matt Easton was episode 134. Bryce Larson, who's older than you, was episode 337. And you'll be episode 646. I, I think you all drink out of the same water <laughs> in some apartment once. <laughs> Um, I'm just kidding, um, but statistically, that's probably pretty normal to have multiple gay missionaries from a mission. Um, your fiance is here with you, and maybe he'll take the mic and say hello at some point. Calvin Smith. Calvin Smith was on episode 432 that was recorded um, last July. And in fact, I was thinking about Calvin's episode because in his episode, he says, I plan to marry a man and I plan to stay as active in the church as the church will let me even if all I can do is collect the song books after church. And I actually thought of Calvin's comment in this morning on my walk, but I couldn't remember Calvin's name or the podcast. And then he walked in my home with Ben. <laughs> and um, so listen to Ben's podcast. But if you want to go listen to episode 432, you heard Calvin's podcast. Calvin is a graduate from BYU. Ben Fernie is a graduate from Weber State. And I'm concerned about their marriage because I don't know about BYU people marrying Utah State. I mean, Weber State people. Are you concerned about that, Ben? No, it'll be fine. Okay, well, there you go. There's no rivalry there. Um, just, I want to get Ben talking pretty quickly, but the episode that precedes Ben is um, an SSA gay Latter-day Saint, Jim Kaysen, episode 645. Jim's in his 60s. Um, just recently retired as a director at BYU, um, never married, and that's a valid path. Jim has a powerful story. I'm honored to have him on the podcast. Um, episode before that was 644, Skyler Sorensen, a gay Latter-day Saint who felt his path was to marry a woman and be in a mixed orientation marriage. Ben is now going to share his story, like to two previous episodes of being gay and feeling his path is to marry Calvin. They'll be married this July. So how do I feel about that as an active Latter-day Saint? Well, good question. I don't look at any of these stories as less or more valid than the others. Yes, I invite everybody to follow church teachings, and I recognize Ben is you know, not following church teachings, but I've learned to just say, I support you, Ben, and Calvin, as you're making your way forward. And I look at this as part of our doctrine that we let you write your own story with God, and our job is to support love you. And we just pragmatically realize that your path is outside of church teachings. But it's not outside of my love for you or my support for you. I don't sit on the sidelines and hope your marriage fails. Um, you two have put a lot of thought into this. And so I would sit on the sidelines and support your marriage. And just feel that that's my responsibility as, as a Latter-day Saint. 
Now, the other thing I try to do, listeners, is not sort of use a podcast and say, this is how you should write your story. I think it's good to listen to all these podcasts, but I think if you're gay or bi or trans or lesbian, I think these podcasts are meant to help you write your own story with God and figure out the best path for you and self-determine that path when you're your personal best. And I think Ben is doing that. Um, he's worked really hard in this space. He served a lot in a lot of wonderful ways. And so that's kind of the framing I want to use for this podcast. But um, Calvin said a prayer before we started. And I think our hope is that this podcast will help all of us come together, straight and LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and reduce the vitriol and, and develop more love and empathy. People are hard to hate close up, move in. And that's part of this platform. Um, as I mentioned, Ben's going to talk about this. He served a terrific mission in Sydney, Australia North Mission, um, two wonderful mission presidents and their wives. Um, he's been an institute director, not an institute director. Institute student president. Student president yep. at Weber State. He's been the student body president at Utah State. That's an elected position for a couple of years. Two years. At Weber State. At Weber State. I'm going to get Utah State. <laughs> he never went to Utah the State. The North schools. <laughs> He's been at Weber State his whole life. And um, and so, with is that okay, you guys, for an introduction? Yeah, that's great. Um, both of these men, after they're now and after they're married, plan to stay as active as they can in the church. They have a deep testimony of our church and a deep desire to share their lives together. And so, they're going to talk about that. So, I will turn it over to you, Ben, after a six-minute introduction. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. And, and I think the timing of this, like you mentioned, is really cool with the two previous episodes being various stories that differ from each other and differ from mine. Um, and we'll get to some other comments and thoughts I have on writing your own story a little bit later on. Um, but let's just dive in because there's a lot of thoughts and a lot of things I want to share. So first, I just, well, let's just start from the early days. Um, I remember for many years recognizing that I had different thoughts and different attractions at, at a very young age and not, not even realizing because for me, it just never was an option in my mind. I didn't want to let myself see that, you know, those thoughts and attractions were different from the perfect future that I imagined for myself that was within the church bounds, within, you know, the teachings that I grew up with. Um, church and God have always been number one for me. So much so that when President Monson announced the mission age change, I was pumped because I didn't want to have to wait after I graduated. I wanted to just get out there and get on my mission. Um, and then my senior year of high school, my family moved to China for my father's job. Wow. And that was the first time I ever got on an airplane was moving there. So I went from the northern Utah bubble of, of awesomeness that it, that it can be and went to the middle of China, didn't speak Chinese. And that was one of the best things that could happen for me. Um, high school was always hard. I never really knew where I fit. I'm a little bit loud and out there and wasn't ever fully comfortable being myself in high school at school. Um, and so moving to China was a fresh start and a fresh start that really forced me to deepen that foundation I had on God, deepen that relationship with him because, <laughs> you know, the friendships there were hard for different reasons than here. But there it was like, oh, he's the church kid, so he's not going to go party with us. Um, anyway, so after graduating in China, I got my mission called to Sydney, Australia. I spent the first five months in Georgia waiting for my visa. 
Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And it was, there were some rough parts, which helped my testimony even more and really helped me see that God's always there. And I met some incredible people there that obviously I wouldn't have met when I was in Australia. So it was really cool to have the, you know, two missions, which a lot of people are having these days with COVID and with different things that have happened. I think that's more common. Um, but I, one of my favorite things about my mission was being able to just focus on serving. There weren't pressures of life. There weren't pressures of dating. Those conversations weren't happening and I could just focus on serving my companions, serving other missionaries, serving people around me and just moving forward that way. Towards the end of my mission, it's funny that you kept saying Utah State. Um, <laughs> I was planning on going to Utah State. That's where oh, my good. parents <laughs> met. They loved Utah State. But towards the end of my mission, I just had a strong feeling that that wasn't where I was supposed to end up. And so I battled with God a little bit and finally settled and told him I'd go to Weber State University for one semester. And then I was there for five years. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so my first year there, I was able to serve on the Institute Council and plan some devotionals and be over a few different things like that. Um, very involved in the Institute. I started dating and, you know, each girl that I would date, I really struggled to see a future. I struggled to see, you know, the reality of being gay took center stage. And I, and I started to have to really face it and recognize that <laughs> this part of me is going to affect my future and is, is something that I'm going to have to recognize very soon. Um, and there was one person that I, one girl I broke up with driving away from her home. I remember the strong feeling in my gut, knowing that that was the last girl I would date. It just wasn't working and I knew it wouldn't work. And that I didn't know, you know, I wasn't ready to like even accept it in my mind. I was still really struggling. So that following year, there was a lot of struggle. I like to call it my final hurrah of, you know, talking myself out of being gay or trying to, you know, pray it away. Cause there was a lot of pleading on my knees. Um, a lot of time asking God to take it or to at least give me an attraction to women or, you know, change something, but nothing ever changed. And I finally just was faced with the reality that God knows me and he loves me and he's there for me. And that's weaved all throughout my story and my experiences. Um, following that hard year, I thought, you know what, maybe I'm going to, something else is coming. I need to maybe transfer schools. I actually started looking at BYU, which is funny because never in my life did I see myself going to BYU. Um, and I just had this feeling that something more was coming. And then I got called to be the institute president. And in that, mo in that meeting, the stake president who extended the call looked me in the eyes and said, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And I just knew that I wasn't supposed to leave Weber. And that there was more I could do to serve and help people. And then got to be the Institute president. That's and it, cool. It was really, it was amazing. It was, and it was like the mission. I got so busy serving and planning events and doing things that it got really easy not to date. Um, and to, you know, just focus on serving other people and not have that pressure. And that's, that year was really when I stopped denying to myself that I was gay and started to like, let myself realize the reality of who I am and, and where my life's headed um, and starting to really know that I needed support from family and friends. Um, and so after that year, well, maybe, maybe part of why I ran for student body president was because I wanted to be busy for another year <laughs> so that no one could ask me about dating or, you know, there's, there's also this element of overcompensating and trying to be perfect in every other aspect of your life. Cause you struggle to, you know, to date women or to do some of those basic things. And so 
But I think the main, the main reason I was motivated to run for student body president was I just loved leading. I loved helping people. And Weber State's a very unique university where a lot of people live off campus. So creating that, you know, student body culture is really important for people to, you know, if they're going to come to an event, a lot of them are driving 15 minutes instead of walking across the street from the dorms or whatever it might be. Um, and I, I mean, I started at Weber thinking I'd be there one semester, fell in love with it and wanted other people to see that there's a lot of good there. And my professors still, if I run into them, they remember my name. They ask me how I'm doing and where I ended up. Um, and it's interesting. After I was elected my first time as student body president, 12 days later was when COVID-19 moved universities online, moved wow. things online. So that year was a lot of Zoom meetings in my parents' basement. I was just living at home through college, which is one of the best things I could have done for myself just because I had their support. Um, and so there's a lot of time on zoom, looking at the screen, meeting with people, dressing up when really people are only seeing my shoulders and up, but it was amazing to see the way that people are so dedicated to the students, people in higher education are, they're doing good work. Um, and COVID, I really think of it as a blessing. I know it's, it's hard in a lot of ways, but it was really the final push that I needed, um, to coming out. And to, to really getting that support my, for my family. My, my father would occasionally ask me, why aren't you dating? What are you thinking? And I got really good at dodging that question. I got really good at changing the subject or, well, COVID's weird. No one wants to date because they don't know about the pandemic. Or True. I don't like online dating. Or I had a list of excuses, but I started to run out of them because every few weeks he'd ask me. Um, and then one day he asked me, so why aren't you dating? What's going on? And I tried to dodge it and he saw right through my dodge and he straight up asked me, well, do you even like girls? And I want to pause before I keep going and just recognize that that approach is most likely not the right approach in other people's situation. Um, I think for me, for my family, for my timing, it was the perfect way for it to happen. I was already feeling ready to talk to my parents. I already had chickened out a couple times from talking to them. And so my father was very inspired to just straight up ask me. Um, and it was the perfect push. Um, but other people who might be listening, I'm not, please don't take that and say, this is what I need to do to support my friend or my child or whatever, but just stay close to the spirit. And, and I think the reality is, is we can create safe spaces in the way we talk about other people who are gay because people who haven't come out yet are listening and they're aware of how we're talking about people who are gay. And if, and if there's jokes made or, or things that are said in a lighthearted way, a lot of times it can feel like, oh, maybe they won't be so supportive. Um, so he asked me that question. We were in the car on our way from Lowe's grabbing stuff for some project around the house. I don't even remember, remember what it was, but the weight was just lifted off my shoulders in one way because I knew. Now I had support and we could move forward, but also there was a little bit of panic because now it was out loud and I, w I couldn't run from it anymore. I had to face it head on because other people would know. Um, so that night I had conversations with my parents and then conversations with my sister. My sister actually had a conversation with my dad a few weeks before this conversation where my dad was like, why is Ben not dating? What's going on? And she the inspired sister she is said, I don't know if he likes girls. 
me and her super close. We did a lot of stuff together in college. So if anyone had the inkling or could, you know, know that something was up, it was probably going to be her. Um, which is good because that prepared him to, you know, ask that question, which, like I said, worked really well for my situation. But m- move forward with caution, I would say. Um, so I talked with my parents and sister that day, and there were a lot of tears and emotion. And and I want to point out that my parents, their love for me was the reason they were so emotional wasn't because they wanted to deny that I was gay and it wasn't because they were, you know, mad at me in any way, but it was because I had gone through this without reaching out for help. It was that I had spent so many years without them being able to support me in this way. And that was the main thing that really tore them apart was that I was, you know, in my mid twenties, just barely bringing this up, but I had known for years and they were just, wanting to help. And then of course the adjustment of, you know, what does my future look like? There's a little bit of an adjustment there mentally to recognize and and the unknowns and the questions and some of those things add to the emotion. But their love is so powerful. Their the reaction a parent gives during a moment like that, I think truly impacts the trajectory of the relationship. And I'm amazed every day at my parents, the way that they've been so loving and supportive when I came out, when I started dating, when I found Calvin, and every day since then, and their love and support for him as well. It's been incredible. Um, And I also just want to add, I think it's so important for us to give those around us grace. You know, I had been aware of this and really starting to face it for a couple years. So how can I expect my family to happily skip and move on after a couple minutes? when I had been dealing with it for years, you know? And so sometimes we forget that it's been in my mind for a while and it maybe it didn't even cross theirs and now it's suddenly there. And so there's this adjustment period where we have to be a little bit graceful. And it, I'm not saying it was easy. There was a lot of very difficult conversations about my future, about the church, about how hard it is, the unknown um, of it all and everything. Um, later that week, I came out to my three brothers And they were amazing, so loving and kind, not weird or freaked out. They almost brushed it off like, oh, okay, and what else? In a way that didn't make me feel like they didn't care, but more so that I was just loved even more because of this. But not that they were going to, oh, my gay brother's a little bit weird. You know, There was none of that at any point. They were all excited. And there's questions all along the way, but they were so happy to hear that part of me. So that began a lot of months of growth where, you know, now it's not just in my head, but I have people in my life who love me and support me and they're asking me questions and they're talking about things and they're there for me. And now it's very real. And I was amazed as I slowly came out to other friends and family and mentors. I was amazed every single time by their love and support. And, and usually there's a little bit of a, oh, okay. You know, like that, that mental adjustment of, well, I didn't see that coming. Or some of them were like, yeah, okay, I can see it, whatever, which is fine either way. Um, but throughout that period, my aunt sent me some Twitter thread and I can't find it. I wish I could have found it so that I could reference it properly, but it talked about the creation. Then it talked about how God created day or separated day from night and water from earth. 
and different things like that. But the reality is, is God separated day from night, but we still get sunrises and sunsets. He separated the water from the earth, but we still have marshes and swamps and places that are kind of earth and water. You know, there's birds that fly and fish that swim, but there's some birds that can't fly and some fish that can leave the water and survive just fine. So I think, you know, that was, that was a pivotal moment when my aunt texted me that because I was at a point where I felt like it was a very black and white choice of have a future family or have the church. And in my mind, it was a, a one or the other, but it wasn't a two part question. There was more, more choices below, but those were just the two obvious ones I felt like I had to pick between. Um, and obviously there's, there's a lot more gray than there is black and white and a lot of unknowns but I have faith and know that God's aware of me. I know he loves me and I know he wants me happy. And the biggest thing I'd say to the listeners, and I meant to say this at the beginning is there's hope and happiness ahead. Whatever your story, wherever you're at, hold on to that and know that that's ahead for you because it is, I can promise that. Um, so then, you know, I ran for student body president again and I said, you know what? I haven't had enough of it. Let's go one more. I'll crank out a master's degree in the process. I'm not ready to grow up and work full time. I have more work to do at Weber. And I do want to point out there was, you know, there were moments of like, well, should I like, you know, come out publicly because I'm in this cool position where I can impact people and, you know, I'm a, I'm a big leader and maybe this can, you know, be in the news or whatever. But that's the reality as I recognized anytime I had that thought is my intention for that was about getting attention. And it wasn't an intention of helping. It wasn't an intention of I'm ready for this. So it never happened. And I'm glad that I was able to pace myself in that. I told the people close to me, I told the people who, you know, I saw and I needed the support from. And then I just let myself grow with that. And I wasn't in a rush to make any big announcement. And I think no one needs to ever feel rushed to do that or you don't ever have to do that. I early on was very frustrated with the whole reason we have to come out in the first place that I have to have this dramatic conversation. So to see if someone still wants me in their life or, you know, just because of this one thing that makes me different. And while I still have that frustration, I recognize the value in those conversations because it's, it's a, it's an opportunity for us to invite people in. Like you mentioned that at the beginning, it's, it's hard to hit people up close. And that's an opportunity for to invite people to be up close so that we can really see each other up close and personal. Um, so yeah, over that next year and a half, I continued to have real conversations with parents, siblings, and friends, listening to podcasts like this one, which is crazy that now I get to be here, um, and reading different books and still going to church all along the way. Even when there were days where it was like, okay, this is, this is a little bit stressful sitting in church because they're going on and on about, you know, a man and woman are perfect for each other. And sometimes there's topics or things said or whatever it might be. But I just had to recognize that my relationship with God is strengthened when I go to church. My faith in Christ is strengthened when I go to church. And I still believe in the church and know that it's, it's doing a lot of good. Um, and that it's very important to me and not something that I wanted to let go of, even after coming out and figuring out what my future looks like. Um, also, throughout the, that time, I, I had the opportunity to be a trip leader for HEFY, which is now known as 
HXP humanitarian experience, which I know was on the podcast recently. Um, and I got to lead six different groups of kids in Tonga, Peru, and Zimbabwe. And part of me, as I you know started coming out to more people, had a little bit of a fear that coming out would let them down or let people in my mission down or whatever it might be. Um, but first and foremost, there comes a time when you have to realize that you're the one writing your story and you have to decide where you're going to take it. And along the way, and with those conversations, I've had some, some awesome opportunities and conversations with those friends I made on those trips, many who fit in the LGBTQ community and others who are allies. And it's been really cool to see how I can help them and they can help me see that there is hope and happiness ahead. And at the end of the day, I, I had told one of them, I said, well, like, if the rest of the people from our trip find out I'm gay, I think they're going to be matched. And she told me, she said, you don't need to worry about that. Everyone loves you. They're grateful for you and you're fine. And so sometimes I think we can get in our head because you just never know who in my life is okay, who is not, who's going to treat me differently. Um, which is why I think for anyone who's not LGBTQ, who's an ally, who's listening, like I said before, making sure the way we talk about things the way that we treat people really affects the, those who haven't come out and if they know that you're a safe space. So then it came to the point where I was like, okay, when I first came out, I wasn't sure if I was going to date men or if I was just going to buckle down and be single for my whole life. I did know that it just wouldn't work for me to marry a woman. I'm not saying anything bad about people who do make that work. I commend anyone for the way that their paths go, but just for me personally, I knew that that wasn't the direction I needed to go. And then I also knew that I needed to have a family. I wanted to have a family. Um, and so I had to give myself a little bit of permission to move forward and to, to be happy. But I also spent a lot of time before starting to date being very careful because I wanted to date with intention. I wanted to make sure I knew what I wanted that I had boundaries and, and that I wasn't pressured into anything that I didn't want to do or wasn't ready for. And I spent a lot of time before dating, praying and just asking God, I think I'm ready for this. And I talked with my family um, and I just said, God, this is where I want to go. This is what I'm thinking of doing. Before I start, stop me. If this is wrong, stop me. And it was just like a peaceful silence I had for the whole next week where it was like, you're okay, go ahead and move forward. Um, and, you know, talking to my family about, okay, I'm ready to date was just another level of growth and acceptance because it's, it's another level of, okay, well now the gay is, you know, part of the dating and part of, you know, the future of it all. Um, but my parents were amazing and it was so cool to see the way my relationship with especially my parents and my father really grew deeper during that time as we had conversations about where I wanted my future to go and what things I didn't want to settle on and, and where, you know, where things could go and how I could continue to serve and help people and, and be close to God. So then I said, okay, I've prayed about it. I've talked with my family. I know what I'm looking for. So it's time to date. So I got on Tinder and in that first month of dating, I went on at least four dates a week, which is a lot, but I had a lot of time to catch up on, you know, because I hadn't been dating. And, and this was the, the time I was really starting to date with 
you know, an interest and goal of my future and knowing something could work, work out. Um, and in that time, in that month, in that, I mean, date number four was with Calvin. Um, and I was amazed to find someone who is perfect for me, someone who I didn't even realize existed, and someone who valued church and family and relationships and life in the same ways that I did. Going into dating, I knew what I was looking for, but I did think that at some point along the way, I was going to have to settle, that I wasn't going to be able to find you know, someone who aligned on all of those things. And, and I didn't know what I was going to do if it got to that point, but I knew I had to just start dating and, and figure out what I was, you know, really get that concrete idea of what I was looking for and, and where those deal breakers were. Um, but with him, I don't have to settle. With him, I've never had to settle, and that has been such a blessing for me. Um, so we got engaged in March after dating throughout all of last year. Um, and we had to have a lot of conversations throughout, you know, some of the nuances of our situation and talking about, you know, marriage and, and paving our way along the path. Um, and I do want to point out one of, one of the coolest things was when we got engaged was he proposed and then out from behind the barn, our par- both of our parents, all of our siblings jumped out cheering, happy, and then we went to dinner together. Um, and I, I recognize that that's not the reality for a lot of people, that they don't always have that kind of support, especially on both sides. Um, but I'm very grateful that we do and that we have people who are there for us. Um, and I think, you know, as we prepare to get married in July, I just think back and, and recognize how amazing it's been growing with him and, and looking to build a life with him. Um, and it's in some ways it's been very easy because of those same foundational perspectives, those viewpoints and those values. And we've worked well together since the beginning because we are so aligned on a lot of things. And he's taught me so much and I really can't wait to keep building a life with him. I could talk about him all day, but <laughs> you know, maybe we'll have to come back on another and do another full episode with the two of us. But um, so here I am. Engaged to an incredible man, getting married in July, and still attending church every week and planning to do so. And I think it's important to recognize the unique fork in the road that we find. Um, Like I said, where I felt like I had to choose between my future family or church. And then somehow I realized that there's more paths than just those two. And I was able to choose both. Um, And it's, it's interesting to see how we're actively part of two communities who both preach love. One teaches love one another and the other one teaches love is love. And for the most part, I have people who are part of one of those communities and are, who are very supportive of me being active in both. But it is interesting to see where some of you know loved ones tend to draw the line or, or become a little bit uncomfortable where you know the ones who are part of the love one another, the church community, They'll say, I love you, I accept you, I support you, I'm here for you. But then once we start talking about being gay, or once we start talking about a wedding or future plans, where it's gone from, yeah, I'm gay, to dating, to marriage, then there's this awkward line drawn, or it feels like there's this, you know, they'll ask me about any other part of my life. 
how's work? How's your car? How's moving to Orem? How's all of these different things? But then they won't bring up this incredible person who I'm going to build a life with. You know, and then we have to have with with a small number of people, you know, we're preparing for one of the biggest and best days of your life. Everyone dreams of the day they get to get married and and find that person and and celebrate that and then continue to move forward. And we we have to be a little bit graceful to sit down with people who are uncomfortable with the gender of who I'm in love with and be graceful with them to say, you know what, if you're not comfortable coming to the wedding, that's okay. Which is a hard place to be because you want people to be there. You want them to be supportive and excited about one of the biggest things of your life. But the reality is, is if I want them to be graceful and accepting of of where I'm at, I have to extend that to them as well. Um, And then on the other hand, I have friends and family who are either LGBTQ or who are allies who either have left the church or have a hard time with the church. Um, and they'll say, I love you. I accept you. I'm here for you. And they'll ask me about Calvin. They'll ask me about dating. They'll ask me about wedding plans. But then if the church comes up, that's when it gets awkward. So there's, there's a bit of a balancing act with some of the people in our lives where you have to, you know, be a little bit careful about how much of (laughs) these important communities you talk about with certain people, because some of them might not be that happy. And and I understand some of them who have distanced themselves from the church have been hurt, whether that's by talks or policies or comments or whatever it might be. And by no means am I saying that they're wrong for walking away. And by no means am I saying, you know, the people who are in church are wrong for staying. No, like, like we've said throughout the podcast, it's all about, you know, finding your story and following your path. But it is just interesting, I think, for those listening who are supportive of of LGBTQ people, maybe just consider, are you loving and accepting of their whole identity and choice and trusting, you know, if, if the church is in a place that you feel comfortable or safe or whatever it might be, or if, you know, on both, on both ends of these communities, you have to recognize and give and give the love and trust that I know what's best for me in my life. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. Um, so yeah, that was just one interesting thing where, you know, love one another and love is love. We're both so focused on love, but then people who are like very committed to one or the other sometimes have a hard time seeing the love on the other end. And like I said, I, we're very blessed. We have a lot of people who are in one or the other and who are very supportive of our whole identities and, and choices. Um, but I do want to also touch on um, outside of the church building. It says the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then we have two more words. It says visitors welcome. And to my friends who are going to church or who are teetering with their faith or who maybe struggle a little bit with church, I just want to ask each one of you, how do you show that, that the visitors are welcome? And the reality is, is we need you. You know, when a gay person walks in or a gay couple walks into church, do you turn away or do you make room on the pew for them and save them a seat next week? Because we need, we need people who will save seats on the pew, not even just for gay people, but for anyone who's different or who's walking a path or, or visually even just looks different than the, the traditional mold. I think it's important that we recognize, yeah, if I, 
if I'm not super comfortable with the way some people are treated in the church, perhaps I could, you know, be the welcoming person in the ward or make sure that there is a force for good there. And I've seen that. I've been amazed as I visited Calvin's YSA ward um, to see the way that people have saved me a seat or who have come and grabbed me if I was sitting by myself and made sure that I was seen and heard and welcomed because that's exactly what Christ would do. He he went out of his way to make sure everyone was seen and heard and loved. And does that mean that he approved of every choice they made? Not No, you know, there's plenty of stories. I think the Bible is so full of stories of Christ ministering with love. That's what the Bible is about to me, the New Testament, where he's, you know, walking the far way to go speak with the woman at the well or going, you know, and finding the lepers and helping them out or the woman caught in adultery or, you know, the woman with the issue of blood or all of these different stories are demonstrating to us today how we can go out of our way to love people, how we can go out of our way to show that not only do I see you, but God sees you and he knows you. So, you know, if you're a little bit uncomfortable or concerned or, you know, don't love church policies or how gay people or LGBTQ people are treated, I think that's, that's a special invitation for you to stay and to be that person who will save me and my future husband a seat right next to you. Um, now, I know for a lot of people listening, the church plus marrying a man is like, how are you making both of those work? How do you still go to church? Or why are you marrying a man? Or both of the things. And for me, it's working. For us, it's working. But I do just want to make it very clear that I'm not telling anyone that you have to do it this way or that this is the only way. Um, because at the end of the day, we each have to decide, like like you said at the beginning, Richard, about choosing your own path and and taking that time to you know, if, if relying on God's important to you, do that and figure out how am I going to move forward? But if you do feel like there's a fork in the road in front of you, sit on a lawn chair and sit at that fork for a minute. Give yourself some time to look at the paths. And then the longer you sit, the more you're going to realize there's a few other paths that might be hidden behind a tree, or you might have to clear the way to build the path so that others can follow. Like we have. I mean, the reason we're able, even able to have this podcast is because of all the people who have come before us and the people who have fought for you know, the rights of people and, and done different things. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to prescribe my choices on anyone. And I think it's important for people who are not gay to recognize that you can't just pick your favorite version of, of gay or of the gay life <laughs> to say in quotes. And, and tell those people in your life that that's how they have to live. You know, if you, if you know this relative or your cousin's friend who's gay and is in a mixed orientation marriage, and if you think that's great, good, that's great. We support them. We love them. But that doesn't give you the chance to come to your, you know, gay relative or gay friend or whoever and say, this is the way you have to live because they're doing it. So why can't you? Because the reality is, is they're different. Everyone has a different path, so we don't, we don't get to prescribe that. What we get to do, like I said before, is, is decide, do we want to be like Christ? Do we want to love and let the people choose and, and recognize that at the end of the day, 
Christ said, love God and love your neighbor. He didn't say love God and judge your neighbor, but just love. The judging is his job. He'll take care of that later, but we're here to love. And that's, that's really the main purpose of being here. You know, and then the same thing for not church friends who are supportive of being gay. Don't tell your gay friends to never go to church. Because I think the most of uh, the majority of us who are trying to stay, it can be hard and we're trying our best, but we also recognize that that's where we're headed and what we want. So I guess the point of what I'm saying at the end here is, is we just need to be willing to give each other grace and space to decide for ourselves what's important and recognize that relationships take a little bit of work and that a relationship's not about being right or wrong but it's about loving others. It's about lifting others. So whether you're the one learning how to better love your LGBTQ friends or you're the LGBTQ friend, both sides need to be willing to put in some grace and put in some love if they want a relationship to work. There's a lot of things I could say right now. (laughs) Calvin, do you want to say anything? Uh, Yeah, I just, I mean, first of all, Ben is amazing, and I am just in awe every time that he, you know, we we talk about these things, and then he kind of explains the situation to other people and everything. And I, yeah, I I am amazed at his testimony, and I'm amazed at the man that he is. He is, you know, a, a positive force for good around everyone that he comes in contact with, and I am just incredibly lucky to have found him and to have, you know, started to merge our lives together. Um, I think that, yeah, he touched on some really important points that, you know, as people in our situation, it it can be very difficult. And there are days when it is, it is hard. Um, and where, you know, we both go to our separate YSA wards and then say, how was church today? And we jump into, you know, well, this happened and we need to talk about it. And like, you know, I didn't necessarily enjoy that this comment was said or, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, I think that we always remind ourselves that these are people, these are human beings. These are people who might not understand our situation, might not understand, uh, you know, the nuances of it all and everything and might say things that are insensitive. But, you know, I, I think that we both understand that every person that we come in contact with in the church, uh, they're trying their best. and they all all of the positive interactions that we've had the positive effects of being members of the church have outweighed the negative and i think i can say for for both ben and i that a lot of the good things in our life right now have come from a membership in the church and you know recognizing too that there is a lot of stuff that we have had to to kind of grapple with and overcome and and stuff because of that but i think that we are, you know, we are finding a way for ourselves, you know, before we started recording, you kind of asked like, how does this work? You know, do you get angry? Is this, is it difficult? And yeah, I think we have had to, you know, there's not a space for us, but we've had to make our own space. And I would say that as an invitation to anyone who wants to continue to have that relationship um, with, with God and with the church and everything that there there's going to be having you're going to have to kind of nudge your way through you know and make a space for yourself there are so many times in you know we'll be sitting in elders quorum or sunday school or whatever where you know i'll make a comment to say like hey we're talking about you know 
temple attendance and the blessings of the temple. Uh, we're talking about the blessings of covenants and the blessings of the priesthood and everything. And I, you know, always try and make a point to raise my hand and say, there are a lot of people that that's not their situation, you know, not just speaking for myself, but for a bunch of different reasons, don't have a temple recommend that don't have the priesthood, that don't have the blessings of those covenants and everything. Um, I remember a few weeks ago, someone was saying, you know, what would your life be like without the blessings of covenants and the temple and the priesthood and everything? And some people made comments about, oh, I wouldn't have any purpose. I wouldn't have any direction or whatever. But, you know, I ended up raising my hand and I said, you know, in front of everybody, I said, because of my choices, I don't have access to a lot of these blessings. But that doesn't mean that I've abandoned God or that God has abandoned me. It just means that I receive blessings in different ways and that a lot of other people all around the world receive blessings in other ways um, and can still have access to God's love. And so I think as we move forward with the church and everything and our relationship with God, I think we're, we're hoping to continue this effort of we are going to find a sense of community. We're going to find a sense of relationship with Christ and service to others because all in all, that's really what the gospel is about. And if we can in any way try and find a, find a place for ourselves and make a place for ourselves, then I feel like that is going to, to bring that same sense of fulfillment to us, regardless of whether we have a temple recommend, regardless of whether we actually have membership in the church. It's just that this is the way that for, for the both of us, that this is the way that we can best uh, you know, tap into our relationship with God, tap into to Christ and those blessings and everything. And, you know, I, I think I can speak for both of us that, you know, 99% of the time, the interactions that we have with members of the church have been overwhelmingly positive as we've talked to people in our YSA wards and in our family wards and everything. Most people we meet are incredibly happy for us. They're supportive. They, they don't even bat an eye. And they say, okay, we love you and we're grateful to have you here. You know, I think that, you know, hopefully we can continue that same, having those same relationships and those same interactions with people. So I just, like, you know, like Ben said, I consider ourselves very lucky to have the support that we have. And that's definitely what keeps us going and what is able to help us strengthen our relationship with, between us with God, with Christ, with our families, and with members of the church. Thank you, Calvin. And I think I mentioned your podcast since 2022. It's 2021, and so it's almost been two years. Um, great job to both of you. Great job, Ben. Thank you. Um, you're a stand-up guy. I knew that kind of from your Australia uh, mission, but you've done a lot since then. You did peak out in <laughs> Australia. I love what you've done at Weaver State in a bunch of different areas. I love HXP, and I love that organization. I was honored to have some of their leadership on the podcast and the great work they're doing. I just sense um, your desire to serve and do good in a number of circles, and I think that will continue mm -hmm. in your life. Um, there's, some things, there's some things for listeners that will pop out to you that no one in our podcast has ever said. There's some things that popped out for me. I, I love. You both have active LDS families, and I don't think your family sold out our doctrine to be supportive of you. No. And I think your parents, if they were on the podcast, would probably talk about their journey to say, I can be completely 
um, in the church, um, believing members of the church, serving members of the church, and completely support my gay son in a same-sex marriage. And perhaps it's our doctrine that Christ taught of love, support, mourn, bear comfort, and just walk with people on the roads they choose, unless it's creating harm. Mm-hmm. And there's no harm being created here. Um, and I love that they all walked out of the barn, behind the barn, <laughs> both families together. Yep. Now, that's, to me, is a beautiful family love story. It's, I think if your parents were on the podcast, your parents are alive, aren't they? So all four parents are alive. I would guess they'd say, this isn't quite what we imagined, but they've navigated this and they've gotten to the point where they're saying, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, we can't control outcomes. We honor personal agency, but we can preserve the family relationship and we're going to do that. Yeah. I don't think it made you more gay for them to walk out of the barn. (laughs) I don't think it changes your trajectory, but I think it takes shame. Mm-hmm. Shame is one of Satan's greatest tools to separate us from the love of God. And um, I love your relationship with your father. And I love, you've used the word intentional a couple times. And you, society for LGBTQ people sort of says, do it this way. Yeah. Do it this way. And you get so many voices. But I think you do better when you do it like you guys are doing it. And you're just very intentional. and. You involve God, mm-hmm. and you did too, Calvin. You continue to do, and you involve your father, yeah. your parents. So you weren't, I don't know if closet dating is the right word, but some just know they can't tell their parents they're same-sex dating. Yeah. And But the fact you were at the point where you were open with your parents and with God, I think that helps you make better decisions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> And if you get in a situation that's not particularly healthy, and you probably wouldn't at your age, you're pretty thoughtful, but younger people sometimes get in a situation where they're vulnerable and they get validation from the first time. And it may be someone that's older that may not be looking for a long-term relationship mm-hmm. and they don't know who to turn to. And they just, they, you know, they think, well, God hates me now. My family would hate me. And so it just puts them in a really tough spot. And so I love the way I think you model that for listeners. If that's your road, do it like Ben and Ben and Charlie and Calvin. Calvin. I'm putting you with Charlie Bird now. Ben Chalotti <laughs> and Charlie Bird. Um, ben and Calvin are doing it very intentional, very thoughtful with God. Some would say you're. I hope this language is okay. Some would say, "Well, you're turning your back on God. You're turning your back on your covenants." And listeners, I would never say that to these men. I would just say. Because I think it creates shame, and I think it's divisive, and I don't think it's our doctrine. Yeah, they're not keeping all the covenants, and they, you are pretty upfront about this, and you're not expecting <laughs> to have temple recommends. You're not asking for a temple wedding. You're not asking to have a calling in your word that requires. So you're, you're, you're not trying to make up new rules to fully part- to participate in a church. You're saying, just let us participate. Yeah. But you're also saying, which I think is our doctrine, that God is with me Mm -hmm. and he will always be with me and he will help me as I make my way forward. And so I think, and God helps all of his children. He doesn't just talk to Latter-day Saints. He talks to all of his children. Yeah. And as a parent, I want to talk to all of my children. And so I, I really believe that. I also felt it's best 
and I may have already said this on the podcast, is to write your own story from a position of strength and when you're ready to do that. And so some, and do that when you're your personal best. I would say both of you are at your personal best and you're not writing the story out of anger or out of shame or out of different ways you could write your story responding. You're writing it, I think, is your personal best. And when you decided that day you were never going to date a girl again, I, I think that was an important, you know, milestone yeah. in your story. And just recognize that's not going to work. For yeah. me. And you give grace to other people that it works for. Yep. That's one of the things both of you do is you give grace to other stories in the space. It's a great sign of maturity um, that I think is really important in this space is to let people write their own story and not weaponize them. Um, I think it's better when people own their own story, listeners. Versus me telling Ben or Calvin, this is how you do it. Yeah. I think we teach principles and then let people sort of govern themselves and own their own story. And so I think you do better that way where you feel like even a mixed orientation or marriage or Jim who spent is spending his life single, when he really owns that, I think you do better. Yeah. And there's no rush. I, I think the thing that keeps coming to my mind is anyone who's you know, still working on your coming out process or maybe haven't come out at all. And you're, you know, on a walk outside listening to this podcast and your parents don't know or whatever it might be, you know, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm 21. And so these other people I know came out at 16. So I'm behind. No one's behind. You create your own timeline. There's no rush. You don't have to jump into anything or speed things up or, or do anything the way that other people are doing it, but you can take from different stories and, and stories on this podcast even and take what feels right to you and, and then move forward and, and find that support. I think it's super important to, to come out when you're ready, but then to make sure that you do that with people who are supportive and ready and that you don't you know jump into dating too soon or jump for validation in the wrong places too soon but that you have that support so that as you move forward and whatever decisions you make, you have people to rely on and people who are there for you. Talk about you two are going to move your records into a family ward. Yeah. <laughs> um, sometime after July. What? How did, and you've both had some experience with priestly leaders, maybe Calvin the most, because you've been in the same way. I say, what do you hope, you, how do you hope your future priestly leaders treat you? And this is maybe question this is for not only your future priesthood leaders but all priesthood leaders that have um gay a married gay couple in their ward yeah i'll go first then i'll pass the mic um i think calvin's ysa bishop he has right now and first counselor and then the third counselor is a ysa their whole bishopric really has set a very good model um for loving and supporting and and you know, having real conversations when needed. But what I would hope is that we have a welcoming place, you know, that we can, I think our plan is when we're ready and move and move into the family ward and after getting married and everything that we, you know, maybe have a bit of a transition conversation with his current bishop who knows us, who knows our situation. When I show up to activities or church in this YSA ward, the bishop welcomes me by name. Cool. He says, Hey Ben, how are you? Same with the second first counselor, same with the second counselor. They know me and they make sure I feel seen, not just like, oh, hey, welcome. 
But like saying my name to me is a very godly action. Just like my heavenly father knows my name. I think it's important we make sure other people feel seen. Um, But yeah, making sure that we, you know, maybe that bishop can share some of his perspective or wisdom with whoever that next bishop is, you know, and, and like you said, we're not trying to force ourselves into the temple or, you know, force ourselves to have whatever calling we want. But at the end of the day, if like Calvin said on his podcast episode, if he can hand out songbooks or if we need to make enchiladas for the neighbor who just had a baby or help with the funeral or whatever, like no one can stop me from serving. That's not going to stop. And it might look different and assignment versus calling or whatever label we put on it. But the opportunity to serve is always going to be there. Um, And I just hope our future bishops are willing or priesthood leaders in general um, are willing to continue to work with us and, and be graceful and understanding. You have anything to add? Yeah, I just, I think that I am optimistic going forward. I mean, you know, we're, we're living in, in Northern Utah County, which is kind of a difficult area. Um, and you know, the, this, the body of students that I teach and their parents and everything, it's, uh, it's kind of challenging, but I think, you know, my really only apprehension is that, uh, you know, parents might say, we don't want you around our kids. We don't want you, you know, in this space or working with youth or whatever, but any, I don't know that we would have any callings with them anyways, but, um, but yeah, like Ben said, there's so many ways to serve an award and there's so many things that you can do that is outside of, you know, priesthood duties or outside of a formal calling or setting apart or whatever. Um, you know, like I, I think that there are boundaries that you can set. There are conversations that can be had where you say, this is our, this is our perspective. This is where we're coming from. And I think just having open communication, open communication with a bishop, with a bishopric, or even with a high counselor, state presidency, whatever, to just say, this is where we're coming from. And I feel like that approach can help create a line of trust and a line of communication to say, you know, we, we want to be here and we want to contribute and be a part of this community in any way that we can, in any way that you're comfortable with. I think it's just but you kind of have to advocate for yourself in order to do that. You have to step up and say, you know, we are willing to do this. We're willing to do that. We're willing to help in. And, you know, I feel like, you know, we can be just as much of an asset to a ward community as anybody else. Um, and if anything, offer a different perspective that no one else can offer. But yeah, I mean, I look forward to to going to church with Ben and, you know, we actually just this past Sunday sat in elders quorum for the first time together. And it was like, okay, what do we do? Like, is it okay to hold hands or something? I don't know. <laughs> it's just kind of a, it's something that we're navigating, but, um, but yeah, it was just like, I still feel like I can contribute. I still feel like I can, I'm comfortable making comments and everything and, and doing those types of things. And we go to activities and we talk to people and, Everyone's been so great and so welcoming. So I would just hope to continue that into a family ward setting. Um, you know, my thought on this, and this isn't a leadership consulting podcast. I'm just a rank and file member. Um, but I've always felt church discipline works when um, people feel like they want to go through the repentance process. And it's sort of a positive thing that they want to, 
that they buy into and they want to return to full activity in the church, have a temple recommend, have a calling, um, unless it's required in the handbook, which it isn't in your case, being in a same-sex marriage does not require a disciplinary council. My feeling is it drives people away and it's not particularly helpful unless for some reason you two felt you wanted to go through the process. And so uh, I hear stories every now and then of couples like you that want to go to church. They're in a same-sex marriage and I respect Bishop's feelings about this. They may feel like they need to protect the integrity of the institution or this or that or somebody. I just would invite bishops to go slow. <laughs> um, you mentioned communication, to do a lot of communication. And and then I always felt like my job as a, I, I'm not a bishop anymore. My job was to sometimes just let the YSA self-determine how best I could help them. I had some YSAs that, didn't weren't active in the church and had no immediate plans to be active in the church. So it just said, what can I do to help you? Um, and they had lots of really good ideas <laughs> on things that I could do to help them. And I didn't really do that out of an agenda like, okay, I'm going to help you and you've got to come back to church. Because I didn't see that too much. I didn't really believe that was my job. My job was to be a priesthood leader that helped them as they made their way forward and sort of walk with them and be this trusted adult that they would turn to me when they needed someone that was safe for them to turn to. And yeah, some of those returned to full activity in the church and it was, I was pleased about it, but some didn't. And I just, I just wanted to honor everybody's individual journey. So I hope your future priesthood leaders just welcome you. I think that's what Christ's whole ministry modeled. And Elder Uchtdorf has said, there's no sign at our door that says our testimony needs to be this high to enter. <laughs> so there's, I've always said there's no belief and behavior hurdle to be welcome in a congregation. The gate narrows at the temple. It's wide at the congregation. Everything I see in Christ's ministry modeled that. And Zion to me is not sameness, but Zion to me is diversity, but we're unified in helping each other. And you gave some examples. Cooking enchiladas, was that <laughs> one of your examples? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things you can do. Um, there's a lot of needs that need to be done. And I hope families that have younger kids maybe recognize that I may have an LGBTQ youth and maybe it's good for them to have um, representation or be present or um, see somebody um, in this space that's participating in the church. And they may be closet they may be suicidal they may watch how their parents respond and it may give them the courage to open up to see how we respond to a same-sex couple in the ward i don't think you are going to confuse straight kids into being gay <laughs> by going to church i hope we don't think that and you heard some of this language and i know you could repeat the painful things that are in our political narrative and i'm sorry for that um and you may have some comments that i love your, your outline that I'm looking at, Ben, says months of growth. And I love that when you came out to your parents and you started to date men, you didn't, you talked, that's the title of this section. <laughs> and I think it is months of growth. Yeah. I think I look at it as a positive thing in your life, the way you decided it was time. Yeah. And you did this very thoughtfully, very intentionally. And there's no real owner's manual to how to do this, but I thought you did it really well. And so more thoughts, either of you'd like to share. Um, 
Yeah, like you just said with congregation, I'll just add one thought. And then if Calvin has any, I'll pass the mic. But like I said, the the sign outside the church says visitors welcome. And there's no fine print. There's no asterisk that says unless they're X, Y, and Z, or unless they look this way, or unless anything, but it's all visitors welcome. You know, Christ, the way that he is, he invites us to come as we are. However tall, however you're living, whatever choices you're making, he just asks us to come. Come unto Christ. Not come unto Christ if you are straight or if you are living a certain way, but just come. And however that takes shape when you come is is part of your journey and part of your direction that you go. Um, but he's there and and he's just inviting us and and it's up to us to, you know, to take his hand and to go on the journey and and there's a lot of unknown. You know, I I probably sound very positive throughout sharing my story and I hope that that doesn't make it seem like this was the easiest experience because it definitely wasn't, but I think it gets to a point where you have to recognize like I said at the beginning, your future's full of hope and happiness. There's light ahead, there's opportunity ahead. There are great things ahead for whoever's listening. Um and and there's there's some time involved and some commitment involved to where you have to give yourself grace. You know, I talked a lot about giving grace to others, but you have to give yourself grace while you figure that out. While you sit in that lawn chair and look at the forks in the road and decide, okay, what direction do I think I need to go? You know, and maybe it's maybe there's a hot air balloon that you don't even see and you're going up and not even right or left or middle or whatever, you know? But give yourself the grace and and if it's hard, it's months of growth. It's an opportunity for growth. And, and had I not gone through that, what I've been through and what I've grown, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And I also wouldn't have the opportunities I've had to have conversations with people who were where I was when I was frustrated and worried and unsure about my future. But, you know, sometimes you just have to pitch your tent in the gray area and just take some time to figure out what that looks like. And, and like you said, there's no owner's manual. You kind of have to write your own and figure out for sure where you're headed. I think um, we could do a whole episode on dating and, <laughs> and the do's and don'ts or whatever, whatever your path looks like. Because, you know, when I, when I met Ben, I, I had been dating men for two and a half years. And we kind of joke that he had been dating men for two and a half weeks. <laughs> and we met and it was like, you know, all of a sudden walking a line in sync. So I don't think that there's necessarily a, a right or wrong way to do it. But, you know, I think that when we, when we met each other, we were just both at a place where I think we knew what we wanted. Um, you know, I think I went on enough, not bad dates, but I went on enough learning experience dates for both of us that, you know, I kind of, I knew, you know, like you mentioned that there's, there are people who, jump into dating at a very young age and they're very inexperienced and it can be very dangerous and it can be very difficult to navigate that path, especially if you don't have a lot of support. Um, but you know, I met Ben and I think I had had enough practice, I guess, to say, you know, let's set up some boundaries and let's figure out where we can, you know, have a healthy progression towards this. Um, you know, it, I've, I've been in experiences where it was kind of like a love bomb situation where you just really overcommit to somebody very quickly and overshare and you, 
your lives start to intertwine in such a way that it can become unhealthy. But I think that with Ben, it was, you know, we were both kind of going along life at the same pace and along the path about the same place. And so um, that was kind of a seamless transition, I think, for both of us to be able to say, we're going to get to know each other, but at the same time, we're going to give each other space to to go through this in a healthy way. Um, you know, when we first started dating, we didn't see each other every single day. You know, I mean, we were kind of uh, mid-distance dating a little bit at the time. You know, he was up in Ogden and I was down in Utah County. But so the distance kind of created that space between us. But I think that we just needed some time to to be patient with the process. Um, I think we uh, had to take time to say, okay, when is the appropriate time to to introduce each other to our families? When's an appropriate time to start, you know, talking about, uh, you know, what we're comfortable in a relationship, both spiritual, both physical, both emotional and, and temporal and everything. Like, you know, I appreciate Ben for being patient with me. And I, I think that we've both been very patient with each other and moving forward with this and that, you know, our, our families have been very extremely supportive and we've just, this is something that neither of us have really done before. And so we're walking this way together, trying to figure it out. It's nothing that any of our families have done before, but I just think that, you know, the way that we've gone about it has worked for us. It's not going to work for everybody, but if I could give any advice a little bit now that, you know, I'm at this point in a relationship, it's just to 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 go slow with dating and to to make sure that you have a support system make sure that you have people that that know that you're dating even if they're not family members um be safe and be be thoughtful and intentional about it you know be intentional about it because you want to set up a relationship that can help you grow and help you become a better person and i've definitely found that with ben so yeah that's just what I thought I would say a little bit about our, our story, but again, we could do an entire podcast about it, but it's a long story. <laughs> More thoughts, Ben. Yeah. Calvin mentioned uh, being patient in the process and my wise father likes to phrase it, enjoy the process. I'm as a child, I was the one where, you know, if there were, we, if we were at the grocery store and we had the, the opportunity to grab a little tree on our way to the checkout, I'm the middle of five kids. And my siblings, they knew what they wanted. They grab it. They're in line. And then there's me standing in the aisle, looking back and forth between several options. And then my dad is yelling at me that if I don't grab something now and take it, he's going to pay and I don't get a treat. And this happened multiple times as a child. And I would go and grab the third option that I wasn't even thinking of and abandon the other two. Um, And we like to joke about that because it really demonstrates how at times I can be a little indecisive and also a little impatient. And so all throughout my life, especially when we lived in China, he would always say, enjoy the process. You know, I think we, we get so excited about, you know, we have this subconscious thought of I'll be happy when, and for a lot of single people, especially in the church, there's pressure to date and get married and, and especially for heterosexual couples. So there's this mindset of I'll be happy when I find my husband and we get married. Or I'll be happy when I get this promotion. Or I'll be happy when, whatever it might be. But then when that happens, our brain already goes to the next thing. And we haven't even had the opportunity to sit and enjoy getting there and 
the process that it took to get there. You know, it's like going on a hike and this might sound cliche, but the top of the mountain is great and it's fun and it's a great view, but the process of getting there, the work, the sweat, the breaks, the if you trip a little, whatever it might be, stumbling up the mountain is what makes that view so great. And so if you're in the thick of things, I think it's important for us to just remember, you know what? I'm enjoying the process. I can get through this. Then wherever I'm headed, I'm going to enjoy it so much more if I've been able to focus on the here and now and not only be focused on the destination throughout the whole walk. Um. You two men have so much to offer our church. Thank you. And there's a side of me that is sad that you're not able to offer all your gifts to our church. And we even jo- we joked about the songbook thing, but that's maybe something when you just talked about those principles that you just shared, I imagine you teaching that at church. <laughs> and I recognize that's not possible. Yeah. And I just sad about that. Doesn't mean listeners, I don't support our leaders or doctrine. I just, I'm just sad yeah. that who you are and your gifts and your contributions to our faith community that you've given years of service um, aren't as aren't possible. And just the reality of, and so I don't know what to say about that. But you're two really good men that have a lot to offer. Thank you. Now, listeners, I've talked about some of these things. If you're not a regular listener, I sometimes say we can't make you to the hero one day and the villain the next day. <laughs> um, some go through this thing, process where they're going to be celibate and they're going to marry a woman and then they end up marrying a man. And I don't, and we sometimes put those earlier stories on a pedestal, like you've mentioned. Let's don't do that. These are the same good men that serve missions and have done so much good. Um, professionally, you're both contributing to our community and you're young. You've got your whole lives ahead of you. So let's just recognize that these are good men that are contributing to our community and they're they're not villains. <laughs> um, they're really good men. Um, we This hasn't come up, but I sometimes mention this and you um, uh, don't make decisions based that the doctrine may end up change and catch up to your decisions. <laughs> Um, I think you've got to make decisions that our church doctrine is what it is, and I guess it could change, but I wouldn't um, make decisions that it will change, and someday the doctrine will match your personal decision. Uh, Any thoughts on that? I just think that's a dangerous way to make decisions. Um, Yeah, I just, I think that with the church and everything and with doctrine, I, I think there's a there's a time and place for speculation as to what things might change and everything like that. But I, I think we're losing sight of, you know, what the actual principles of the gospel that we're focusing on, you know, and whether those change or or don't change or whatever, even within our lifetime, even within the next, you know, few years or whatever, I just, I hope that we can focus on what are the, the simple basic principles of the gospel. Um, I think that I, you know, we're not, we're not expecting all of a sudden anything to change. I think we just, we are completely, you know, we are recognizing that there is a status quo and that we still want to be a part of the community that it, that it is presenting. Um, I think that we find ways to 
still participate, like, you know, like I've said several times already, is just we have to make our own space, regardless of the policies, regardless of the doctrine or whatever. Find a way that, you know, Christ loves everybody. There, you know, you talk about there's not a space for us, but in with Christ there is. And I think if we focus back down onto that, that basic principle of the gospel that, you know, I, I look at the gift of agency, I look at the atonement and everything, and I think that both of those things, us choosing to marry each other is us exercising our agency, and Christ and his atonement can still make up for that imperfection, you know? I don't necessarily see it as an imperfection, but that he can make up the difference. And I think there's just a lot of trust that we have to put into God and into Christ that, yeah, even if regardless of policy, regardless of, you know, rules and regulations and everything, Christ is still the head of the church. And with Christ, we have room. With Christ, we have space and everybody does. And so if we can just remember that, then we don't have to get bogged down with, well, you know, we're still, it's still 20 years since we've been married and we still can't be sealed. Like, I, I don't. I don't know that that's going to change. And even if it doesn't change, I don't think that that changes our relationship with Christ or our fulfillment or anything. One of the things that both Ben and Calvin, I think, are really good at is focusing on what they can control and, and, and leaving aside things you can't control. I think that's a great way of living life. <laughs> Uh, my grandfather, who lived into his 90s, taught me that principle. He has a great phrase, and I just think that's a great, healthy way of living, is focus on what you can control. There may be some things you can influence, but a lot of things are outside of our control. And so I think it's good if we focus on what we can control. And you both continue to go back. I can control my relationship with God. I can control my relationship and have the Savior in my life. And I'm... and the church has always been a means to do that. I think of some of the language you've learned to do this, but I think some of the language becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is back to some of the negative language. Well, you're turning your back on your covenants. You're turning your back on God. You know, he will be forever disappointed in you. And then you two are kind of spiritually mature enough not to buy into that. <laughs> Maybe you did at one point, but then it potentially becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> You believe it, and then you never, and then you're in a worse, then I don't want to, I want to choose my words here, then you don't believe God loves you, and you don't have a relationship with God, and I think you're modeling really well that you indeed can have a relationship with God, and he is going to help you as you make your decisions and be with you, and to me, saying that, listeners, to me, is our doctrine, it's not selling out our doctrine. It is our doctrine, and we believe in a loving God for all of his children. You, too, are his spirit children and chose the same plan I did in the pre-earth life. Hmm. Um, I wrote down some other notes, but I can't read them. More thoughts that come to your mind. <laughs> I would just say... Um, you know, like you, you just spoke about the spiritual guidance and I've been in places and in situations where I felt very led by God. I've grown spiritually, whether that was on my mission or 
as an, you know, as Institute president walking, feeling like I need to walk down a certain hall and finding someone who was lost and helping them find where they needed to go, whatever it might be. Um, and part of that fork in the road for me was a moment where I thought I had to let go of that relationship or that it wouldn't be as strong, but that's, that's really not the reality at all. I've been amazed to see the way that God continues to guide me and continues to be part of my life. And, and, you know, someone who I can rely on as much as I have in the past, if not more, you know, it's, and that was one of the things at the beginning when I first started dating for some of my friends and family who, you know, really loved the church, but had a hard time with me dating they would assume that I was walking away from the church or that I didn't go to church or that I didn't like the church or that I didn't like God. But then when I would tell them, yeah, no, my relationship with God's stronger than it's ever been, then it kind of becomes this like, you know, this moment for them to be like, oh, how are you making both work? Which is like, I have my tent set up in the cognitive dissonance world of making both worlds work. And that's kind of a moment to invite someone into my tent and say, here's some of the things I've learned and here's, here's where life's headed. And, you know, in that tent, God is, God is there, you know? So I think it's just important to recognize that there are sacrifices along the way that you have to make, but a relationship with God isn't one that you have to sacrifice. Talk to your younger self on your younger self's darkest times. Cool. I don't know if that was pre-mission, post-mission, when you realize you were never going to be able to marry a woman, just, I assume there were some pretty dark times. Yeah. I don't know if you got suicidal or. I didn't ever um, get suicidal, but I did. Um, talk to you what you'd say to your yeah. younger self. Um, whew. I would, I would say what I've said a couple times is that there's hope and happiness ahead. Be graceful with yourself, be patient with yourself and then be graceful and patient with those around you. Rely on God. Um, and, and don't be afraid of the future because there's a lot of great things ahead. How do you feel about serving a mission? Are you glad you served a mission? Oh, I love my mission. I still, I keep in contact with a lot of families for my mission. I was just messaging one earlier today. We just took our engagement pictures this last weekend and I sent a bunch to the family and (laughs) they were so excited to see them. Um, no, I have zero regrets from my mission. One of the one of the things that my father, you know, had a hard time with when I first came out was like, oh, I wish we knew this before your mission, or, you know, maybe we needed to have different conversations or whatever. But I stand firm in the fact that my mission happened the way I needed it to happen. Um, I do have some friends who have the opportunity to serve a service mission. And and I think whether that's for mental health or for LGBTQ or whatever it might be that that type of mission can be a very positive way to continue to serve um, and can work really well. But I have no regrets of my mission. I would joke after my mission that I would go back in a heartbeat. And a lot of people thought I was really weird. Um, Part of that's probably because you didn't have to make any big adulting decisions, but, but being able to just focus my time on helping people, building relationships, and meeting people along the way is just one of the best things. And then, you know, having God intertwined through all of that and watching people, you know, connect with God or say their first prayer or, you know, go to church for the first time is some of my favorite memories from my mission. 
there's a lot of people in Sydney, Australia and around about there whose lives are better because of you. Thank you. And same with you, Calvin. You served where? Mozambique. Mozambique. You both were far away. <laughs> Those are both below the equator, I think, if yeah. I've got my geography right. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm keeping these guys kind of long, but, and I've said some of this before, but if you're not a regular listener and you're, my feeling if you're younger, pre-mission and gay, queer, and you're not sure how your future is going to turn out post-mission, and you may think, well, I may end up in a same-sex marriage, so should I not go on a mission? And am I worse off for going to the temple? And I would make a, I'm not sure I'd give you a firm answer either way on that. I wouldn't rule it out. Um, And I wouldn't think God would be, I, I don't know how God feels, but I recognize that your mission has made you a better person. And has built your relationship with God in Christ and just built fundamental principles in your life Yeah, that has allowed you to excel at Weber State, yep. um, not Utah State, <laughs> in multiple areas. And same with your mission in Mozambique. Um, and so I, I generally encourage people to serve missions, even if they don't know their future after the mission. There's a bunch of people whose lives are better in Mozambique and Sydney, Australia, because of both of your service. And so I see just lots of fruits with what you did there in your own lives right now. And the God I believe in, I don't think you're worse off for serving a mission now that you're not following all church teachings. That's just the way I feel. Yeah. And so if you're younger and you're wondering how to navigate this, that don't let me write your story for you, but don't take that to God. You mm-hmm. may find serving a mission is possible for you authentically. And you can help a lot of people and also grow personally. Um, I love your answer to what you said to your younger self, Ben. You've said hope and happiness multiple times in this podcast. Yeah. Um, when you're 100 years old and they print your gravestone, <laughs> they may put those, your kids, you're going to have kids, I think. Yeah. I remember you talked about, they may put that Grandpa Fernie, hope and happiness. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and some <Thanks>. other things. <laughs> I also love um, the boundaries. You've talked about that a couple times dating, and I think it's really thoughtful for straight and gay couples to set boundaries and talk about that. It sounds like that's a conversation. And I think it's just part of maturity of dating. Yeah. And um, be very intentional about that. And so I think that's a really good principle. I love the concept of personal agency, and I just honor your personal agency. It is personal agency. I can't sit on the sidelines and judge your personal agency. And so I just support you as you're um, receiving personal agency for your path forward and walk with you and are hopeful for you. I hope you guys build a life together. I hope if you want to have kids, you have kids. I think you'd be great parents. Um, Thank you. You have all the principles in a healthy marriage that I'm aware of to make a marriage work. Um, anything else you'd like to share? I think I've got everything I want to share off, <laughs> off my paper. Calvin, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, I just, I just want to share an experience that we had a few months ago. Uh, we ended up uh, one Sunday, and instead of going to church, we went to a, a drag show. Uh, one of my friends for for my birthday got us tickets, and. Um, it was astounding to see that we had profound spiritual experiences there. You know, obviously it's not the setting that you would expect, but 
it was kind of cool to see like these two different worlds that we live in going to church and then going to this, to this drag show, you know, it was, we had never been before. So it was kind of, you know, nerve wracking, but like we saw a community of people that was probably the most accepting and the most, uh, you know, supportive and, and praiseworthy that, that I think we've ever, we've ever seen. And we saw people who they mentioned several times at this drag show that, yeah, we're, we're not with our families right now because our families chose to kind of exclude us, but we have found a new family and with these people here. And it was, yeah, it was a spiritual experience. I think we've told people and they're like, what? That that doesn't work. But, (laughs) but, you know, I think you can feel the spirit and you can feel God's love in a lot of different places and they might be where you least expect them. And I think that, you know, the, the path that we're going down, we just, we have a unique opportunity to feel God's love in a lot of different ways whether that be inside the church, outside the church with family and friends, no matter where they might be in their faith journey. I think that, you know, God's love is, is everywhere and Christ's atonement is infinite. And, you know, all of the imperfections that we have and, you know, all of the personal agencies that people choose to take, there's, you know, there's a lot of beauty in that. And I think that, you know, I hope that we can still find ways to, support both of the communities that we're in and kind of hopefully bridge the gap to say that, you know, Christ loves everyone, regardless of, you know, their space with Christ, no matter what that looks like, no matter what, you know, your personal situation looks like. So I just feel, you know, ultimately grateful to have each other. I feel grateful to have our families. I feel grateful to, to be in the situation, despite the trials and challenges that it has presented and will continue to present. I think that you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. So. And I would just add um, specifically to the listeners who may be struggling with your identity, may have not even come out yet, or may not know, know where you fit on things or um, are unsure about your future. I would just say, and please listen to this, that you're going to be okay. In fact, you're going to be happy. There's, there's a great, and I've said this, but, but to anyone who's struggling, you're going to be okay. Well, whatever that looks like, you have, you have the opportunity to learn and grow and, and figure that out in your path. And you don't have to decide today. You don't have to know today. But just take it one day at a time. Give yourself grace. Find some strong support. And, and if a relationship with God is important to you, you know, make that a priority and make sure that you're communicating with him. And, and in the moments when he feels a little bit silent, I've been there. That's normal. I think sometimes people feel like, oh, well, God's not answering my prayers, but he answers everyone else's. Yeah, sometimes God lets us wrestle. He lets us wander a little bit because it's in the wandering that we really decide and, and figure out some of the things that we need to learn. Um, you know, we can Google our questions, Google things so fast and get answers so quickly, but God takes a little bit longer than Google sometimes and that's okay. Um, so just know you're going to be okay. You have a great future ahead and, and you can continue to build a life, whatever that looks like. It's a great couple final segments. I, not long ago, I got a message from a listener. It's a closeted young man, high school age. 
out to nobody. He says, your guests are keeping me alive. I put on what no one knows late at night in my bed, your guests. What you just said, Ben's perfect. Some of you are listening right now, closeted out to nobody, young or old. (laughs) But thank you for both of what you said. I loved um, talking about the drag show. (laughs) And I wrote down trap of unearned opinions. I, listeners, have never been to a drag show. So I try not to form opinions about a group of people until I've met people in that group. And it's just, is this what I try to do? So it's easy to form opinions. And that space is politically just incredibly charged right now. So let's don't even form opinions about that space until we go talk to people in that space. Proximity means everything. And don't let others, that's part of my story is, you know, other people define gay people for me until I was a YSA bishop and listened to gay people. To find gay people for me, and that's sort of my personal journey to be in this space. So, um, listeners, act on the impressions you felt. If you're an ally, if you're a local leader, if you're a parent, if you're um, LGBTQ out or not out, sorry, act on the impressions you felt that are in your circle of influence. You can actually impact on what you can do. And um, thank you, Ben Fernie, and. Calvin Smith, (laughs) I hesitated there for just a second. I was going to call you the wrong name. (laughs) I'm getting old. Um, But you two are great men and did a terrific podcast, one of the best podcasts we've done. And please check out Calvin Smith's earlier podcast if you want to, um, 432. And this is Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.